British Spy Stories, Season 1 Spy or Traitor? Episode 14 The morning slides onto the beaches of the south coast of France, and the lightest of breezes glides from west to east towards the sunlight. Gabrielle's head is spinning with options and ideas after the experiences in Gestad. She rises early and eats her breakfast hurriedly, without taking in the sea view or the yachts battling the waves halfway to the horizon. She asks the man at reception if they hire scooters, which they do. She books one to use immediately, picks it up from the car park and glides out from the centre of the town towards Cap Ferrat. In her pocket is an auburn wig, just in case she needs to be invisible. Gabby speeds through the lanes that crisscross the land around the hotel, then slows to a crawl and descends the Avenue de la Corniche, which skirts the southern border of the hotel grounds. She stops along a straight stretch of road, with no one else in sight, pushes the scooter into the undergrowth, dons her wig, and walks around to the lower entrance of the hotel. A long, grand path stretches from the road to the main body of the place. She walks up the hill. She is wearing a Balmain top and trousers, and Gucci sunglasses to blend in with the people and the surroundings. As she gets nearer to the main building, she can see three café and bistro areas, which she scouts on the lookout for Ulrich or his associates. There is no one there that she recognises, and decides to broaden her search and go inside the building. The bar is empty at this time in the morning, except for two old Italian men reading their newspapers. They look up and she smiles at both of them, and they return it. Her search inside yields no members of the gang, and she goes outside again to redouble her efforts. Gabrielle is nearly regretting arriving so early, as Ulrich may be a late riser. Then she sees Dima Lebedev by the pool, on a lounger, with Lily from the night on the yacht. They are talking intimately, watched over by a large guy who stands motionless behind his shades. Gabby recognises him from the party, and knows that she needs to avoid his gaze. She returns to the hotel and finds the kitchen entrance where waiting staff are emerging like bees from a hive, but taking sweetness out instead of bringing nectar in. She pushes a green baize door and walks along the corridor that runs between the bottle store and the kitchen service area. She methodically tries each door until she finds the one she needs. The kitchen staff lockers are in a room painted entirely white. Sets of chef and waiting staff clothing are neatly stacked in cubbyholes at one end. She rifles the piles and finds what she needs, then changes into a black skirt and white shirt and ties her auburn hair back. She retraces her steps, circles back to the service area, takes a waiting tray of drinks from the bar and makes for Lebedev. By the time she arrives, Lily has gone, and Larry Robinson has joined Lebedev on the next lounger. They are chatting, and she stands as near as she can to them 
with her drinks, as though waiting for her customer, while straining to hear their conversation. "'How many guys you got for this gig tomorrow night?' says Robinson. Four, maybe five. "'Why? "'You trust Ulrich?' "'Sure. "'He's been good to me and you. "'You concerned, brother?' "'He screwed me last time,' says Larry. "'I paid over the odds.' "'Increase your distribution prices, Larry. "'It's just business. "'Buy low, sell high.' "'I have an uneasy feeling about the job. "'Has he given you any details?' Meet at the Villeneuve-Lubette Marina? I don't know when yet, says Lebedev. I got nothing from him. Chill, man. He'll tell us, reassures the Russian. You doing this gun running he's on about? Too big for me. I got my clubs along the coast. I, I don't need more cash. You doing it? I don't know, says Larry. Sounds like high risk. Worth a couple of mil profit, I reckon. Yeah? A rick up buyers? All sorted. The job is just security. Lily and Sasha from the yacht walk up to the men and divert their attention from crime. Gabby has heard enough and got far more insight from that conversation than she could have hoped for. She walks down the long path to the lower entrance of the hotel ditches the tray and drinks and reclaims her scooter. She speeds along the coast road and stops halfway between Cap Ferrat and Nice. Far below her, the thrashing sea pounds the rocks of the French coast. She pulls out her phone and goes into Encrypt, then onto site Carlo, and leaves a message for Hans asking him to join her urgently. This is an opportunity she can't miss. The door to Martine's office opens, and she walks up to Lawton's desk with an armful of papers. How are you, Martine? Well, do you have family? asks Lawton. Martine's heart sinks as she prepares for another personal life onslaught. My father is alive, sir, but my mother died. I have a brother in Staffordshire. When did your mother die? Last year, sir. You didn't mention it, he says, looking for something in her face, but not finding it. I like to keep myself to myself, sir, she says. How is your father? Coping. Does he miss her? asks Lawton. Every day, sir, she looks at the floor. Can I do anything, Martine? For my father? I just thought... His words peter out. Her face displays an emotion that he is unsure of. I have influence. I thought I could help in some way, he says, but not even convincing himself. Can I ask, sir? Go on. How are you, sir? She says. You seem to be... different recently. He wants to say that there is no one on earth who he can talk to, and the loneliness of his life is becoming unbearable. In the Venn diagram of his existence, Martine occupies the unique position of knowing about MI6, knowing about Linny, being trustworthy, and having an intelligent advice-giving mind.
No one else says all those things. If he could only tell her about Moscow, too, she would know it all. It isn't sexual attraction. He doesn't want to take her to a hotel on the south coast for the weekend. He just wants to pour out his heart to someone who both knows and cares. For a second, he teeters on the brink of saying it all to her. Then the moment has gone, and his emotion ebbs away. I am a little tired, he says. I'll get you some tea, sir. She walks back out to her office, and Lawton watches her leave. He turns to read the pile of papers that she brought in. The first folder is a routine report from Research Branch on the rise of local criminals in the ex-Soviet states that have now got independence. The second is an operations report about Gibraltar and the various suspicions that the MI6 stationed there have about security. The third folder is another research report. He opens the cover and his heart misses a beat. It is the eyes-only Blackhawk profile that Sir Bernard commissioned from Research Branch. He can feel the blood in his veins and the acid in his gut. His palms are hot, he notices, as he opens the cover. Everything is in there. Ella Perez has done the work personally, and she is one of the best investigators in the service, destined for higher office. He doesn't read the content, but closes the manila file and picks up his briefcase. Lawton's hand stops midway between desk and bag, his fingers around the folder. He has never questioned an individual leak before in his mind, but this time it seems different. Maybe it is because he knows Gabby, and her death will feel much more personal. Maybe it is the feeling that the net is closing in on him, and it is making him more risk-averse. Or maybe it is because he is scared. For the first time in his adult life. Gabby gets back to her hotel mid-morning. One woman tries to ask her for a drink, mistaking her for a waitress, but she ignores the request and goes straight to her room before she ditches the skirt and shirt and orders coffee on room service. She opens her laptop and plugs in the hard drive from Riverside. The military-grade security on her laptop auto-scans the drive for viruses, but finds none. She examines the structure of the external drive. It is British Security Service's standard issue, dual-encrypted, with minor and major unlock keys. She can't see the content of the drive remotely, so transfers the data to her laptop. Once across, she runs a strike analysis, but finds nothing. She collects the minor key from the internet address given on the MI6 network, and clicks to unlock. The files unwrap in chronological order, each with an animated opening sequence as the decrypt works through the code blocks. Seventeen files are displayed once the decrypt has finished. She goes through them one by one. They appear to be messages on the network that fill in some of the blanks from the Jim Cartwright analysis of traffic flows. The senders and receivers are not shown, but the messages are. Some are conversations about the Berlin cell that she had infiltrated, and how important Franz Keneally is to MI6. 
others discuss Ulrich and how he is being tracked using deep cover in his operations. Another group talk about Klingerfeld, Mac's target the day he died. As Gabby clicks onto the final page, she can feel her body react, and a cold shiver run up and over her head. The message is one from London to Berlin, and it says that the Klingerfeld job has to be a guaranteed failure. Under no circumstances must Klingerfeld be killed, it says. Why, then, was a kill order sent out to the opposite effect? The bigger question, in Gabby's mind, is, why is Riverside sharing this information with her? These questions are all valid, but she doesn't know the answer to any of them. Yet. Sir Stephen Lawton passes through the security gates of MI6 Vauxhall Cross and out into the evening air. A stiff wind has played around with the trees all day, and it has not given up yet. As he is going out, Marjorie is coming in the other way. Hello, Sir Stephen. Miss Allardyce, what brings you to our hallowed international shores? A meeting, she says. A quizzical half-smile appears on his face. I won't pry, he says. How is your mother? Embarrassingly well, in fact says Marjorie. She often talks of you, Sir Stephen. Does she? Yes, I've been regaled with a full and detailed history of her career from the day she started, and you appear at the end. I think you worked together in her last couple of years. Yes, I was a young buck then, he says, and she gave me the benefit of her many years' experience. Can I ask, did you hear any more from your riverside up? says Marjorie. The first step went well, I understand. They met and started to build trust between them. Do you know how he did that? I don't. It was eyes only for Sir Bernard, I'm afraid. Did he give her information? asks Marjorie. Possibly he did, says Sir Stephen, although I don't know what. How do you think she'll react? Cynically, says Marjorie. She won't be taken in. If he gave her something genuine, then he'll build trust. But if it's fake, then she'll see right through it. I can keep you across how it goes, if, you, if you'd like, he says. You have security clearance for top secret ops, so you know as much as me. Thank you, I appreciate it. Sorry, I need to rush, she says. They part ways, both wondering if the conversation had been genuine. Lawton crosses under the Vauxhall Railway arches, walks southeast towards Harleyford Road, and passes the Beehive Pub. He starts to see the bulk of the oval cricket ground ahead, and enters the site at the Hollyoke Gate. The place is deserted. Lawton climbs the staircase in the bowels of the building, and emerges from the dark backroom area into the light of the arena. He never stops being in awe of this view and stands for a second just taking in the sight, then walks to section nine and takes a seat. Ivan appears at pitch level and slowly makes his way up the stand towards Lawton. It is only when the Russian is within twenty feet of him that Stephen sees that he has a bruise on his face that runs across one eye. "'My God, man!' exclaims Sir Stephen. 
Did they do this to you? Ivan does not answer, but sits in the next seat but one to Lawton. They do not speak for a minute, as Lawton is flabbergasted. Our friends in Moscow, begins Ivan, are not minded to let you stop your work, helping the mother country. Sir Stephen considers the response. What are the consequences if I stop anyway? he says. The Russian looks at his friend directly for the first time since he arrived. I'm sure you and I can answer that question equally well, Petrov. I could get his protection. They would find us in the end, says Ivan. Not tomorrow or next week, but next year or in five years' time. I can arrange for a new identity for you. Why would the British security services want to give a Russian spy a new identity, says Ivan. You could come over. Tell them what you know. Be a traitor, Petrov. I could never do that. I have spent all my life loving Russia. I owe her everything I have, everything I am. All of my memories of living in our two countries are due to what Russia has given me. Look at the two of us, Ivan. I don't want to continue to be a traitor, and you won't become one. Lawton chuckles, and Ivan joins in. The sound of their laughter echoes along the terraces of the arena, along the gangways and up into the sky, free to go where it wants. What are we going to do? says Lawton, after half a minute. Face the consequences, Petrov, like we have been doing for decades, taking responsibility. Lawton changes tack. Do you run any other assets, Ivan? I can't tell you that. Lawton looks at the man, trying to find an answer in his time-worn face. You don't, do you? I'm your only asset. Or the only one left. They've let you run me only because it has worked for all these years. But the others have stopped. Or died or been killed by your friends in Moscow, haven't they? This is your final test, isn't it? The last reason they have for not killing you. The Russian's eyes talk a thousand words. I'm not going to let you die, Ivan. Then you must continue, Petrov. I'll find another way, he says. What about the intelligence on your agent, Blackhawk? If you remember, the deal was that I only provide information if I can stop. Do you have a plan, Petrov? says Ivan. I don't, yet, he says. But tell them that you and I are working through our arrangements, and the information will be with them in the next week. We're not going to let them beat us, Ivan. Lawton feels more alive than he has done in weeks. His friend looks on at his boyish panache, but doesn't feel any less worried than he did when he arrived. 